Are you curious about Kodiak? That's what we're talking about today. Welcome to the Alaska Uncovered podcast with me, your host, Jenny Twing Flaming. My occasional co-host and full-time husband, Jay, and I bring you accurate, helpful, and entertaining information about Alaska travel and life in Alaska. Molly O'Dell is our guest today. She was born and raised in Kodiak. After living in other parts of Alaska and going to grad school in Seattle, Molly is now living again on Kodiak Island, known locally as The Rock, with her husband and two young children. Molly, welcome to Alaska Uncovered. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Jenny. I'm happy to be here. So Jay and I like to ask everybody who comes on the podcast to start with, how did you get to Alaska? So how did you get to Alaska? (laughs) Well, I was born here. So my parents both moved to Alaska in the 70s. My mom came from Massachusetts as a VISTA volunteer to Kodiak Island. And my dad grew up in Southern California and he canoed down the Yukon River and he ended up in Fairbanks and he worked on the pipeline. And eventually he met my mom and moved to Kodiak to be with her. So this is where my parents decided to stay. And it's where my brother and sister and I were born. Oh my gosh, I did not know the story about your dad on canoeing the Yukon. (laughs) You, I think, so far might be winning the Alaska origin story contest. Well, maybe you should have my dad on the podcast about canoeing the Yukon River. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. Yeah, That would be amazing. (laughs) So this is Jay here, obviously. And Molly and I have history because... Let's see. We've gone to school together in two completely different universities and programs. So we met at University of Alaska, uh, where she was an undergrad and I was a grad student at UAF. Um, And then she caught up to me and we were PhD students together at the University of Washington, right? That's right. Yeah. So Molly has caught up and is now lapping me in the world. But Molly has one of the most, well, first of all, I'm just going to give her some superlatives and say she is among the best, smartest, brightest archaeologists I've ever met. Um, And she's also worked in some pretty interesting places. So Molly, could I ask you to just give a quick rundown on your career as an archaeologist? Yeah. So, um, well, I'll start off by saying I did um, start a PhD program and did several years of it, but I didn't finish it. So I don't have a PhD, but I do have a master's degree in anthropology. For the record, me either. <laughs> we're both we're both dropouts, I guess. But I um I just got super lucky when I was three years old. There was an archaeological dig just down the road from my house, and my mom and I stumbled upon it when we were out for a walk. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I got to spend my summers for three or four years hanging out at this archaeological site near our house. It was an Alutic site that was used between about 4,000 and 7,000 years ago. So it's really old. And I've wanted to be an archaeologist ever since then. So I'm just lucky that I stumbled upon that so early in my life. And I got to live somewhere where having a career as an archaeologist was possible. So right after I graduated from high school, I was an intern with the Alutic Museum here in Kodiak, which is where I work now. So I got to work on an archaeological dig and I got college credit for it and I got professional training. And that just was a springboard for me to have a career as an archaeologist. 
Molly, how old were you when you're, you and your mom stumbled onto that site? Three. <laughs> I didn't know that story before, Molly. That is awesome. I I did. That's why I that's why I dug for it. <laughs> also winning the origin story of archaeology, as far as I can tell. Yes. So but then you went on to work, you've worked in Lake Clark, right? As for the park service? I did, yeah. So in the summers when I was in college, the first summer I went out to Dutch Harbor in the Aleutians. I you know, I contacted the archaeologists at the Aleutic Museum to see if they had any recommendations of where I could find a summer job and go on some cool archaeology project. And the director of the Museum of the Aleutians um, actually used to live in Kodiak, and he had worked at the Aleutic Museum, and he'd been my neighbor in Shiniak. So I knew him when I was a kid. Hadn't seen him in a long time. So I just, I called him, and he said, yeah, we have a big project starting up. He said, you might be the youngest person I've ever dug with, but we can put you on the project. So I got to go out to Dutch Harbor for an entire summer and just worked on an amazing excavation. And then I did work in Lake Clark National Park one summer. And I went to Iceland one summer. I did a field school in Iceland. I wanted to try working somewhere different. But, um, you know, the weather was a lot like Alaska. <laughs> the right. archaeology was very different. And then you went to the Curl Islands uh, when you were at UW, right? UW yep, is I, I went with my professor from UW, Ben Fitzhugh, to the Curl Islands in the Russian Far East. So that was a, that was a huge, huge adventure, once-in-a-lifetime experience. We went on a ship, and we worked with um, volcanologists and ecologists to study the, the history of those islands. It was really fascinating. It was extremely remote. We were camping on these volcanic islands in the middle of nowhere, but it was really an amazing experience. I'll, I'll, it would be an entire podcast, but I, I, Molly came back with some amazing stories about living on a Russian fishing trawler. Wasn't that what you guys rented? Um, I don't know if it was a fishing trawler. It was a big ship. Yeah, it was called the East Gothel 4 which means the seeker. You can if you Google the East Gothel Four, you can find pictures of it. It was it was a big ship. It was like a two hundred foot catamaran. And I remember that that program. Um, so I'm right now. I am the computing guy for the archaeology and anthropology department at UW. But I remember that that um, at that time I was in charge of the. I was a grad student. I was in charge of the equipment. I remember. I just remember that program. All the computers came back destroyed because the inside of the ship leaked. And so it kept dripping inside the keyboards and then like, it just, it just gave me a, a, a little bit of a vision about just how like crazy the whole project was. Yeah. Yeah. Working in Russia was definitely an experience. We, you know, I've been leading you on a bit of a trail around other parts, but tell us about Kodiak. What is, I think probably most of our listeners will have heard the name Kodiak, but only associated with bears. So tell us about Kodiak. What's what's unique about it? What makes it different from the rest of Alaska? Oh, that's a big question. Well, Kodiak is a big island in and of itself, and it's it's actually an archipelago. So it's a series of islands, Kodiak Island being the biggest. Um, and Kodiak Island is about the size of the state of Connecticut. So that gives you a little bit of a sense of the scale. But it is remote. You know, it's it's not connected to the mainland by a bridge or anything. You can only get here by boat or plane. Um, but it's it's sort of in southern Alaska. So our weather is, while it's extreme in one sense, it's not super cold like some other parts of Alaska. 
Um, but it's it's really unique. It's its own it's its own real part of Alaska that's big enough to be its own state. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally true. I think that's that's um well, you can divide up Alaska into a lot of different states, but Kodiak, I've only been there a couple of times, but it just it's a very unusual feeling place to me. One of the things that I want to point out, when you say plane, there is daily jet service to Anchorage, right? Yeah, Alaska Airlines is the only um, commercial air service, passenger air service from Anchorage. They have two or three flights a day. Do they still run the combis? No, they got rid of those a few years ago. So So I was really hoping the answer would be yes, but just for a bit of Alaska color, Alaska Airlines used to run to Kodiak and then Southeast, uh, a type of plane called a, a combi, which they were 737, like 100, 200 era planes and they were half freight and half passengers but actually the bulkhead between the passengers and freight could be moved around so i've gotten on them before and had like six rows of seats and you know sometimes there'd be like 20 and you know sometimes it smelled just slightly fishy because <laughs> they were all or very fishy <laughs> or very fishy yep. and you boarded from the rear because they put the passengers in the in the back and the it's a very it's just a really unusual you know it's totally normal alaska airlines flight on a ticket whatever and you show up and you're like oh oh this is something different Yep. And even when you boarded in Anchorage, you had to walk outside on the tarmac. You know, they didn't use the jetways to board in the back. And just just so people know, so it's not a surprise. If you fly to Kodiak or most of the other um, smaller airports in Alaska, even if you fly in Alaska Airlines, you will have to walk outside to get into the airport when you arrive. So bring your raincoat. Right. (laughs) Molly, tell us a little bit about the Alutic museum where you work and also the Alutic people um where do where do people live how are things different in for modern day people versus in the past share a little bit about that so the Alutic or Sukpiak people are the indigenous people from the Kodiak archipelago and their traditional territory also includes parts of the Alaska Peninsula and the lower Kenai Peninsula and Prince William Sound But our museum, the Alutic Museum, primarily focuses on the Kodiak Alutic area, although we do sometimes do projects outside of our area and serve communities outside of Kodiak. But um, our website is aluticmuseum.org, A-L-U-T-I-I-Q, and there's tons of information on our website, and there are lots of videos and links to publications and stuff. So if anybody is really curious to learn more, there's a lot of great information there. But um, and I'll, uh, I'll put that in the show notes. So if you do want to go to um, their website, you'll be able to do that from the show notes. So that... Um, the Alutic are an Alaska Native people, and from based on the archaeological evidence, they've lived in Kodiak for at least 7,500 years. Those are the oldest archaeological sites that have been documented. It's possible they've been here longer and we just haven't found those sites yet, or they've maybe been destroyed by erosion or sea level change. Um, anthropologists consider the Alutic people to be most closely related to the Yupik people from Western Alaska and the languages. Those two languages are closely related. Um, that's Alutic is considered an Eskimo Aleut from the Eskimo Aleut language family. Um, it's a little bit more distantly related to the Unanga language from the Aleutian Islands. 
So Aleutic people still live in Kodiak, and they primarily live in the city of Kodiak and in six outlying small communities that can only be reached by airplane or boat. Two of them are served by the Alaska Marine Highway ferries, but the others um, really are only served by a small aircraft. Um, but there are Aleutic people that live in other parts of Alaska and other parts of the country and the world. So we, the Aleutic Museum has a pretty large audience. Our primary audience is the Aleutic community here in the Kodiak Archipelago, but we also serve the entire community. You know, we serve people of all heritages and we welcome people of all heritage, all heritages to come here and learn about Aleutic history and culture. Um, and we also serve Aleutic people who live in other places. I have been there i'll tell you it is a it's a pretty great museum especially when you think you know it's it's a small town and a small place and you it's it's pretty remarkable um on that note i haven't been to kodiak for quite some time um but my impression was that when i was there of course it was in winter i've never been to kodiak in summer because i always seem to choose the wrong time of year to go places but I feel like fishing was kind of on the decline uh, when I was there. And it didn't seem like tourism was really a dominant force. Although I know there's a lot of tourism to Kodiak. Like, but what do people on Kodiak do for a living? And is tourism on the rise? Is it more dominant than I remembered? Or like, what's the role of tourism in the on the island archipelago of Kodiak, as I now know? That that's a good question. I don't I don't want to be quoted as an authority, um, but I I mean fishing is still a very important of Kodiak and very important part of Kodiak's economy. Um, we are usually among the top three fishing ports in the nation as far as catch landed, and so there's also a lot of seafood processing here. So it's not just the the fishing boats and um, what's being brought in. It's that a lot of that stuff is being processed here in Kodiak in the community. And, and there, are those fishing grounds like out in the Aleutian Islands? Um, or some of them. I mean, there is a lot of fishing just around Kodiak, but there are, are a lot of vessels from here that also fish in the Aleutians and the Bering Sea. There's also a big Coast Guard base there, isn't there? There or, is. Yeah, it's the largest Coast Guard base in the nation. So I, I don't know the numbers, but I mean, that that brings uh, at least a couple of thousand people into our community. I want to say maybe even three or four thousand people with dependents and everything, but I'm not positive on the numbers. Right. Yeah, I don't want to put you on the spot as any kind of an expert, but what's as a person who lives there is um, how, you know, is is tourism on the rise or flat or declining? I mean, I've, I, living from Fair, living in Fairbanks, I knew people who went to Kodiak all the time, but it was always for hunting. Yeah, I would. I I think tourism is probably on the rise here slightly. I you know tourism is not um, as major here as it is in other parts of Alaska, just because it's harder to get to Kodiak because it's off the road system, and um, the ferry ride here is a little bit serious. <laughs> it's eight or nine hours <laughs> from Homer. And you have to cross the open Gulf of Alaska. It's not. Tell us how you feel about that ferry ride, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> I I have this um, very vague memory from riding the ferry when I was like four years old. And I remember throwing up in the sink in our stateroom. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I remember my mom, I remember going out in the hallway with my mom and she asked someone who worked on the ferry how how big the seas were. And they said 27 feet. Oh, wow. 
Oh my That's God. That's a joke. That is some yeah. serious, and serious you were water. So, I, I mean, I know the ferry is great for a lot of things, but it's, it's not like a quick ferry trip like you might be used to if you live in Washington state or even in Southeast Alaska. So I, I don't do it very often. Pretty much I haven't done it except for when I was moving or needed to move a car. And there's also a ferry that goes to Whittier, which is much closer to Anchorage, but that's like an 18 hour ride from Whittier to Kodiak. So yeah, it's because the ferry has to cross the open ocean. It can be quite uh, rough. Yeah. And if you take so, a week, yeah, as, not as many tourists come here, um, but there is, I mean, there, Kodiak has a lot of amazing um, scenery and wildlife viewing and bear viewing and hunting. So a lot of people come here for hunting. The deer season um, is from August to, I think, January. And there's just, there's tons of people that come here for that. And there's also elk that were introduced on a Fognac Island. So there's a big elk hunt there and people come through Kodiak to access Fognac. And then there, we also have introduced mountain goats. So people come to hunt those. Um, and there's a bear hunt. There's a spring and a fall bear hunt. And so, yeah, there's, but there, there are also people that just come just for, you know, sightseeing in general and people that come for fishing. There are fishing charters out of the city of Kodiak, not nearly as many as like Stewart or Homer. But the good thing about that, I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast because everybody's going to be in Kodiak, but um, you don't have to go as far to get halibut here as you do from Stewart or Homer because there there isn't so much pressure and um, the limit is higher here. Yeah. Ooh, hot tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we do have um, cruise ships that visit Kodiak. I don't know when that started, probably in the last 20 years, but you have to remember I was gone from 2002 to 2016, so I wasn't living here continuously during that time. But um, I know before 2019, we usually got 10 to 15 cruise ships a year. And then in 2019, we got 30 cruise ships. So that was double the number that we'd ever had before. That's but a big those, are, those are not the really big cruise ships. I know you guys can probably explain what the size is, but they're like the smaller big cruise ships and then some of the smaller like adventure ships that come here. So they're not, we don't have like 5,000 people at one time. And our, because we don't get regular cruise ships, like we don't have the infrastructure to support that. We can, there's just, you know, if you're, if you're like a real cruise ship town, then it's like incredibly seasonal and incredibly, you know, those cruise ships unload and then they leave later the same day. So it's like really busy and then nothing. Yes. And we don't, it's, it's different in Kodiak. Kodiak is more of a working town than other coastal towns in Alaska. Um, and we don't, Kodiak is also kind of big compared to other remote towns in Alaska that are off the road system. I think the only other town that's bigger that's off the road system is Juneau and Ketchikan is probably about the same size. Kodiak has about 13,000 people in the whole island, but most of those are in or right around the city of Kodiak. So um, our, our economy isn't, or our town isn't really seasonal like other towns are. Like everything is open all winter. Like all of our restaurants are open all winter. The hotels are open all winter. So I mean, it is definitely busier in the summer, yeah. but we don't, we don't have an, because we don't have a large tourism industry, we don't have a big seasonal fluctuation in what's open and what's not open. So there are, there are pros and cons. I'm sure tourism brings a lot of money, but on the other hand, um, because we don't get as much tourism, we just kind of are more like a normal working town. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, um, 
since Molly had just mentioned um, smaller ships, the more expedition and adventure ships, episode eight of the podcast was all about small ship cruising. And so just to add on to what Molly was saying, large cruise ships, like the ones that cruise the inside passage and go from either Seattle or Vancouver, those ships do not go to Kodiak in general. It's the smaller ships. So if you want to know more about what that experience is like, Go back to episode eight and listen to that. Okay, so along since we were just talking about tourism and visitors, Molly, if you had friends or family visiting or when you have friends and family visiting, what are some of the things you think are great to do in Kodiak while folks are there as a visitor? There are some great things to do right in town. We have some great museums for a small town. The Alutic Museum is fantastic, but I will tell folks we are about to close for a renovation. We're closing July 1st. We're going to be closed for about a year and a half while we renovate and expand our building. So if you're coming after spring 2025, please come to the Alutic Museum and see our brand new exhibit. Um, but if you're coming during that time, we have a lot of things on our website and people can always contact us and we can um, try to figure something out if people are really excited and want to learn something specific. But the other museums are the Kodiak History Museum, which is just a fantastic little historical museum in downtown Kodiak. It is in a historical building that was built in the early 19th century. Um, it was called it's called the Russian American Magazine. It was um, a storehouse. Um, during the Russian fur trade era. And it is the oldest standing Russian building in North America and the oldest standing building in Alaska. So it is just really a gem. It's a national historic landmark. So not only is it a museum, but you get to sort of get this feeling of being inside a historic building. So I absolutely recommend visiting there. And they have cool. a new exhibits that were just unveiled a couple years ago. So it's really a fantastic little museum about Kodiak. Awesome. And there's um, there's the Kodiak National Wildlife Refuge also has a visitor center in downtown Kodiak, and that's also very nice. They have really high quality exhibits about Kodiak's natural environment, and that's free and open to the public. So anybody can go there. And then there is a Kodiak Military History Museum, which is in Fort Abercrombie State Park. And that's um, a few miles from downtown Kodiak. But if you have a car, you can easily get there. And there is a bike path if you are adventurous and want to walk more than four miles or ride a bike. Um, but Abercrombie State Park um, is just a fantastic park. And we're so lucky to have a park like that. That's basically right in town. It has great trails and it has beaches. Um, and it was um, an army fort during World War II. And so there are bunkers and there are some interpretive signs where you can read about the history. And there is a military history museum there in one of the bunkers. And the hours are pretty limited, but um, there is a website and a Facebook page. So if you're here in the summer, I would definitely recommend checking it out and seeing if they're going to be open. Molly, is there anything special that people need to do other than normal Alaska precautions for hiking there about bears? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I do want to mention uh, one last museum before we move on to the oh, bears. Oh, there is there is a Kodiak Maritime Museum and they don't they don't have a building, but they do have a restored fishing boat in downtown Kodiak. It's on the spit near the boat harbor. Oh, and cool. there are yeah, there are panels there. So you can there's stuff you can read and you can see the boat. It's really neat. And they have a website too if people are interested in more about that topic. I walked but around. Yeah, the, it's good. Oh, go ahead. It's really good. Yeah. Go ahead. 
Um, yeah, so the bears here are, they are brown bears. They're considered coastal brown bears. They're considered a, a subpopulation of grizzly bears. So they're not considered their own species or anything, but they are exceptionally large. Um, but I will tell you, like, I grew up here and I spent a lot of time playing outside as a kid and I've spent a lot of time hiking. Most people are not going to have a bear encounter in Kodiak, but it is always a good idea to carry bear spray with you. And you can buy it in town at a sporting goods store or at Walmart. Um, and if you ask around, you know, if you're seeing an Airbnb or something, chances are they're going to have bear spray you can borrow. And there's also a coffee shop downtown that loans out bear spray to visitors. So it should be pretty easy to get your hands on bear spray. But that's really all I would recommend. I mean, ideally, you'll hike in a group, but I've done lots of hiking by myself as well. You know, and if you make noise and everything you should be fine. But there's always a chance that there could be a bear pretty much anywhere. And we do have very thick brush in Kodiak, which makes it difficult. You can, you and a bear can easily startle each other without realizing it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think that's a, that's a really, the reason I framed it like that is that all of Alaska has a significant, you know, uh, bear population. So you, you do need to take precautions but i just i was interested to hear if you would say anything special i've heard the brush is the is the factor in kodiak um you know i have mostly worked like up in the arctic where the visibility is quite good but then you get in the willows and uh you know it's it's just you have to be more attentive i'm really glad by the way that you called out i think this is a source of confusion uh pretty much with everyone i've ever met coming to alaska about bears black bears are their own species and grizzly bears and brown bears are the same species but they're ecotypes meaning that i, I think the rule of thumb is 75 miles from the coast if it's within 75 miles it's a brown bear if it's more it's a grizzly bear except in canada where they call them all grizzly bears and it's mostly just like when people say oh what's the difference between a brown and a grizzly bear well brown bears are living on fish and tend to be much bigger. Is that consistent with what you understand, Molly? I think so. I don't, I haven't heard the 70 mile thing, 75 mile thing, but yeah, I have heard grizzly when they're interior, they're considered grizzlies. And when they're on the coast, they're considered brown bears. Yeah. That's, I think, you know, they're not separate species. It's mostly about the massive food source that the coastal bears have uh, from fish and berries and, I mean, Kodiak bears are terrifying because they're just absolutely massive. But, yeah, but you know, yeah. I've I, I've had some curious bears over the years, but I've I've had startled bears that ran away. But, you know, I've never had a bad bear encounter and bear maulings are extremely rare. I mean, they do happen, but they're extremely, extremely rare and they often involve um, hunters and a carcass, you know, a bear trying to get a carcass or something. Right. Not always, but. You know, the, the, the really the bottom line is in most cases, you're just completely safe as long as you're following some basic precautions. And the, one of the good things I think about Kodiak bears is that they generally, their behavior is pretty predictable, whereas black bears and interior grizzlies, in my experience, are a little bit more wily and unpredictable. But um, Kodiak bears really want to be stay out of your way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... Um... It seems to me like Kodiak is a pretty great place to go to see bears if you're interested in that. I know there are some some companies there that specialize in it, right? Jenny, do you you know some, right? Yeah. One thing I was gonna add when we wrapped up 
this section, but I'll just add it now, is that um, Molly and I have talked several times about different operators and local folks who do bear viewing. So if you're going to Kodiak primarily to see bears, which is usually a fly-in experience, maybe to Katmai, maybe to National Park, maybe to Lake Clark or somewhere else in the general area. Um, there are definitely different operators that will that do those trips in Kodiak, and I will put links to them in the show notes. So, Molly, if you want to add anything about it here, go for it. But I just wanted folks to know that if they want to click on a specific website where they can book that, that we'll have that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there are lots of bears in Kodiak, and but I, I will say if. If your purpose of your trip is just to view bears, then you probably either want to go somewhere like Brooks Camp in Katmai or McNeil River where you can watch bears all day, every day. Or um, the one bear viewing lodge that I know in Kodiak that where you can go watch bears all day, every day is the Kodiak Brown Bear Center. It's on Carlick Lake on the south end of Kodiak Island. Um, But that, you know, that what how you choose your bear viewing adventure adventure is really going to depend on your budget if you're already in kodiak you might be able to see bears on the road system you might just be able to drive out the road and hang out in your car near a salmon stream and see some bears but that's never really guaranteed that just really depends on whether they're hanging around near town or not but if you if you want to be guaranteed to see see bears you can do a float plane charter and they will take you to where they know bears have been hanging out and some of those charters from Kodiak do go over to the coast of Katmai National Park but those are going to be expensive and you're you know maximum you're going to get a couple hours or a half a day bear viewing doing that so if if that's the the main purpose of your trip is to watch bears all day every day then Kodiak is probably not the place you want to go unless you want to go to the Kodiak Brown Bear Center on Carlick Lake um one other thing I wanted to ask you Molly about visitors is how can people get around on Kodiak once they arrive because they're going to get there by a plane or boat so are, are there car rentals are there like Turo rentals? Are there taxis? I know there's no public transportation. So what, what can, can people walk to things? Um, what would you, what thoughts do you have about that? Um, I think most people probably will need to rent a car to really enjoy most of what Kodiak has to offer. There are car rentals. There's some at the airport and off the airport and there, I've heard there are some Turo rentals and, um, there there are cabs. And so if you do want to just come and hang out downtown and go to things you can walk to, you can take a cab from the airport into town. Um, the Kodiak Inn, one of the bigger hotels in town, has an airport shuttle. So if you stay there, you can get into town. Um, the only issue with staying downtown and not having a car is there's no grocery store downtown. Safeway and Walmart um, are about three and a half miles from downtown. So if you were adventurous, you could walk. Um, but if you and you can go to some of those museums that are right downtown, but if you want to get farther than that, if you want to get out and really see some scenery on the road, you can drive um, about 35 miles, 40 miles out the road. Um, and then you can drive about 10 miles another direction. And there's not an extensive road system, but you can definitely spend a couple of days going out and enjoying some scenery and getting to some beautiful beaches and you would need a car for that. There is one um, small public bus. It's co- called the Kodiak Area Transit System, CATS, and they have a website and they just operate as a dial-a-ride service. 
So if you were in town and you needed to arrange a public bus, you can ride that. I think it's like two fifty for a ride. You could that is an option, but it only runs in town. It wouldn't take you out of town. That's awesome. I didn't know that you had that. That's very cool. Okay, so Molly, back getting away from your non area of expertise of uh, <laughs> the visitor industry, <laughs> I want to come back and circle back for a minute about what you are most definitely an expert on, which is growing up in Kodiak. So I would love to know if you just have anything you'd like to you could share about what it was like to grow up there and and what it's like to raise kids there now. So I I think just one of the best things about Kodiak is the fantastic beaches we have. And that I mean that is what I spend the majority of my childhood doing is just playing on the beach and fishing for pink salmon and, um and swimming in the freezing cold water and it's it's just really nice to live in a place where there's so many beaches that are easy to get to. We don't have to take a long drive to get to a beach. There are lots of little beaches that are right in town that I can take my kids to after work and on the weekend. Um, and it's it's great having kids now living in a small town, relatively small town, because everything's close. You know, I don't I don't waste a lot of time commuting or running errands. You know, when I have to leave work and take one of my kids to an appointment, it's quick and easy and I don't have to worry about parking, never have to worry about traffic in Kodiak. All of those sort of small town things are nice. Um, there's there's just a few reality checks every once in a while when I like want to buy something or order something and I can't find it in town or it's sold out and it's going to take three weeks to get here after I ordered off Amazon or Target or something. So. Right. There's Yeah. After living yeah. in Seattle for seven years, there's definitely some reality checks about living in an island in Alaska. Do you, I know that growing up, you did a lot of subsistence, um, uh, uh, and aside from the, the Alaskan dictionary entry, I guess, uh, subsistence in Alaska means hunting, fishing, gathering for personal consumption, like as a significant part of your diet, as opposed to like sport fishing or sport hunting or that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, did you I, you grew up with a, a with a significant amount of that didn't you yeah so we always subsistence salmon fish so my parents have a small skiff like a 16 foot aluminum open boat with a little outboard on it and um a gill net which is a net you basically lay one one end on the beach and tie it off to something and then string it out in the water perpendicular to the beach and catch salmon as they're swimming by so because of where we lived in the salmon runs that were in our bay we primarily fished for silver salmon but sometimes for red salmon when we would go somewhere else on the island um yeah so that that was a big part of our diet we put up a lot of salmon canned it smoked it smoked it and then canned it um shared it with our friends and relatives um and I'll, we used to get crab to dungeness crab and king crab um and it's really common in kodiak for people to share that kind of stuff you know your neighbors come in with catch and they call you and you come and get some i remember one time my dad caught so many silver salmon he threw them in our kiddie pool in the yard and just started calling neighbors to come over and take some <laughs> that's amazing i miss that i mean i remember uh, we were halibut fishing once and came home with uh, several hundred pounds of halibut and sharing it with our neighbors, one of whom was my um, on my my master's committee across the road. And I just I've missed that that uh, aspect of food sharing that I think is a really strong part of at least more rural Alaska. 
what about you you did a lot of do you still do a lot of berry picking and and yes. do you do shellfish harvest by the way um, molly expert on shellfish harvest so. <laughs> yeah when i was a kid we used to dig clams um there's been a lot of paralytic shellfish poisoning people call it red tide but paralytic shellfish poisoning or psp is really the toxin that um it's a neurotoxin and it can um make you very sick and it can kill people in um the right concentration and so there there have been a lot of toxic algal blooms in the last um, 20 or 30 years here. And so the the amount of shellfish gathering has really slowed down. So my family doesn't do that anymore. That um, and we, but we do pick a lot of berries. Kodiak is very lush. Our vegetation is very green and lush and we have lots of delicious berries. Um, so we pick a lot of those and we, we put a lot of those up. We freeze them and um, make jelly and jam and can them up. What kind of berries do you have on Kodiak? Uh, the big ones are salmon berries. So those are a high bush berry. They're they're closely related to raspberries, but they're like bigger, plumper, juicier, and a little bit less flavorful kind of. I mean, it's a different flavor, but I would say the flavor is not like as strong as raspberries, but it's different. They're called salmon berries because they turn orange and red and um, they're just amazing. They're just very lush and they're just everywhere and they'll take over your yard if you're not careful, but they're just an amazing berry to put up. And we also have blueberries. We have high bush blueberries down here near sea level. And then up in the Alpine, we have low bush blueberries and um, crowberries, which people also call blackberries. And we also have low bush cranberries up in the Alpine too. I haven't picked a ton of those myself. And we have high bush cranberries, which are not true cranberries, but that's what people call them. They're very sour. People say they smell like stinky socks. But if you like them, you like them. And if you don't, you don't. But I like them. <laughs> and they they make great juice and jelly and sauce. I'm in camp. Don't like them. Um, <laughs> I learned today that my confusion about crowberries and blackberries now makes sense. <laughs> because I didn't realize that that was what people were just calling the crowberry. Because they're not the same as a blackberry you would find outside okay no they're a small round shiny berry that grows like on the mossy tundra and there's there's some confusion about salmon berries too because in western alaska and like the northwest coast people call um cloudberries salmon berries so if you're out in yupik ter ter territory or anupiak territory and people are talking about salmon berries they are talking about what i would call a cloudberry which is a short little berry that grows on the tundra and it has one usually one berry, I think, on the top. They're delicious, too. We don't have very many of them in Kodiak. There are a few places where you can find them, but not really in big quantities like you can out in Western Alaska or Northwest Alaska. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll have our wrap-up questions for Molly. I'm Isaac Schaefer. And I am Drew West. And this is the Entrepreneur Podcast, where we as entrepreneurs have the privilege of interviewing fellow entrepreneurs and business owners here in the Pacific Northwest. And if you've ever thought about starting a business, what it takes to really be successful and crush it in that arena, you are in the right place. We release episodes every Tuesday. Check us out on the Chatter Network or anywhere you stream your podcast. Let's go. Let's go. And we're back with Molly O'Dell from Kodiak. So Molly, during the break, um, we were talking about another question to talk about, which is the things that Kodiak is not. So since it's a 
remote location with lots of interesting things to see and people often know it because of bears. What are things that people are looking for in their trip to Alaska that they will not find while they're on Kodiak? Yeah, that's um that's an interesting one because sometimes when relatives or friends of mine from other parts of the US say they want to visit Alaska and I sort of ask them what they're interested in, it helps me narrow down what part of Alaska would be good for them and I'm sure that's a lot of what you guys do. But um you know, when people tell me they really want to go gold panning or see a glacier, those are things that Kodiak doesn't really offer. Um, we It's not super wintry and cold in Kodiak, so there's not really dog mushing here. It's not a great place to see the Northern Lights because we're relatively far south and we also have a lot of clouds. So if those are the things you're interested in or you're really interested in experiencing deep winter, Kodiak is not the place. Um, but if you're interested in fishing, if you're interested in um, the maritime history, Aleutic history, if you just want to go sightseeing and see amazing beaches, Kodiak is the place for you. Sweet. That's awesome. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our wrap-up questions that Jay and I like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast. So the first one is, Molly, what is your favorite month in Kodiak? <laughs> um, either July or August. It sort of depends on whether the summer is early or late, but that's when the berries are ripe, the salmon are running. It's just the peak of summer. Everything is lush and green and beautiful, and it's easy. It's easy to live here, and it's easy to love Kodiak when it's that time of year. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> okay, so the second question is a little bit funny in a location like Kodiak. But it's what is your favorite restaurant in Kodiak? So maybe we should start with how many restaurants are there in Kodiak? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, there's a there's a solid handful. Mm -hmm. um, but my favorite, I don't I don't know if I have a favorite. I'll be honest, eating out is not the best thing about Kodiak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it. you know, you have, and when you travel anywhere in Alaska, especially in rural parts of Alaska, you just have to be prepared for everything to be expensive. Yeah. For things to take a long time. Yeah. But yeah, there's a, there's a great sushi restaurant that we oh, eat nice. at quite a bit, but we also have two little kids. We have a one year old, so we just don't eat out that often. Yes. <laughs> There are some there are some really good food trucks though that have opened in the last few years. Um, and I order lunch quite a bit from food trucks. Ooh, that's cool. Are they downtown? Like if someone was staying downtown, would they be able to access the food trucks? Yep. Cool. And a lot of them have online ordering, so it's pretty easy these days. Nice. That's funny that you mentioned that because I remember when we um went to Iceland, when I went to Iceland for the first time, Molly, you warned me. That the food on Iceland was, you know, not the highlight. <laughs> and uh, you, you were right. Uh, the best food I think we had in Iceland was a Thai restaurant. And uh, <laughs> the fish and uh, chips we had were really good too. Oh, that's true. They were really good too. Yeah. And I think the food scene has probably stepped up a bit. I mean, the first time I was in Iceland was almost 20 oh. years ago. Oh, and their visitor industry has gone completely crazy, you know, since then. But it was just funny. It was like, oh, yeah, it was, I was glad to have had that as a slight heads up. It was fine. It was functional. But, you know, once you were out of the biggest cities, it was definitely gas station food was pretty much what was available. <laughs> just reminds me, it's not, I, it's not the same place, but it's got similar dynamics, I think, in play 
all the food has to be imported, you know, at, at some expense. So it's either slow or expensive. That's the only place. Iceland is the only place I've seen more expensive produce than Alaska. Yeah. 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 So So if you're eating it, if you're in Kodiak and you're eating it, it was either caught locally. It came on a barge from Seattle or it flew in on Alaska airlines flight. Yeah. Yeah. That is one of the other big reality checks about moving back to Kodiak after living in Seattle is um, the, the produce is just not in its best shape by the time it makes it here. So by the time you bring it home, it's already been on a ship for a week, you know, so it doesn't have a long, a long life in the refrigerator once it comes to your house. Yeah. That's so real. All right. Finally, Molly, what is your favorite thing to do in Kodiak. So if it's a day off, it's July or August, families together, what what's your favorite thing to do? Hanging out at a nice beach, just not having a big agenda, just yeah. playing in the sand, running in the waves. It's really the best of what Kodiak has. Yeah. That sounds awesome. You know, it's funny, I would have never ever guessed that you know, a beach was the best place about a place like that. That's what's cool about talking to someone like you who has that local experience growing up there. It's just not what I would have thought of. Well, as long as you're okay with beaches that aren't, I mean, the beaches, uh, I should mention this because I get it's normal to me, but I guess to a lot of people it's not. Our beaches are black sand. um, And a lot of our beaches are rocky and cobbly and gravelly. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are sandy, but not all of them. But if you're okay with that, it's great. And you're never going to have big crowds. I mean, there are people out on the beaches and there are four wheelers and stuff when it's nice, but you're never going to like have to fight for a spot or fight for yeah. a park spot like <laughs> right. you would in other places. Yeah. Is the black sand obsidian sand? No, it's just most of our rock here in this part of Kodiak is slate. Oh, right. So it's not, oh, I kind of always assumed it was volcanic, but no. No, Kodiak's not really a volcanic island. I mean, we have some granite and stuff, um, but it's, yeah, the island itself is not volcanic. It's accretionary. Oh, interesting. Well, Molly, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your incredible knowledge and expertise about Kodiak. And thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Molly. It was fun to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You guys will have to come visit soon. Yes, for sure. Well, thanks to all of you out there for joining us for this episode of Alaska Uncovered. If you like what you heard, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. They come out every Wednesday. Bye for now. 